But please pray with me as we prepare to open God's Word together. God, I pray that through the words of Scripture, you'd teach us again of your kindness and your mercy and your grace to us. I pray that we would come away today with a greater sense of your beauty, of who you are, of, of, of what you have done for us in your Son, Christ. I pray that you would build into us wisdom, make us wise people, people who above everything else know you and love you and fear you. Take your word and shape us with it this morning. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Now, one of the challenges uh, of using the book of Proverbs in a series is the temptation to, to read these individual sayings apart from context. So even those who, generally speaking, understand the importance of literary context and, and genre and historical and cultural context and those kind of things, this looks like the kind of book that, that warrants what you might call Bible roulette. So I don't know if you've ever played Bible roulette. Basically, it's you, know, you take your Bible and you kind of close your eyes and you, you pick a section out and you, you put your finger on it and that's God's word for today. Uh, but the problem is that that's not really how the Bible is intended to be used. And indeed, taking verses out of context can actually be a very harmful thing. So let's, let's take the worst case scenario. You're going to sit here and you're going to find God's word for you today. So you close your eyes, you, you open up a passage, you put your finger on it, and the first thing you read is this from Matthew 27. Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. You think, oh, well, how's that God's word for the day? Okay, I'm going to try again. So you, you go back to it and you say, okay, well, I'm going to still try to get to the New Testament because there's good stuff in there, so I'm going to do it. So you do it again. You're going to play Bible roulette again. So you go again, you open it up, you put your finger on it, and then you get Luke uh, 10. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Okay, this is not going well, so you're going to do it again. You're going to close your Bible, and you're going to, okay, I'm going to play one more time, last time, and this is going to be what God's word uh, is for me today. So you open up again, you get to John 13. Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. You think, okay, this this is not a responsible way of reading the Bible, right? If you take verses out of the Bible at random, it can be a very harmful thing. Now, a large portion of the book of Proverbs is individual uh, wisdom sayings, what we would traditionally call Proverbs. So it's a one-verse or maybe a two-verse sort of a, a snippet of wisdom. So if any book in the Bible looks like you could sort of use this in that kind of a sense, then it looks like it's the book of Proverbs. And indeed, it is profitable to read individual Proverbs by themselves, but even here, you, could, you can't just kind of snipe one out and take it out of context. We have to understand each proverb in light of the whole uh, collection of wisdom in Proverbs. So, so let's say you come across a proverb like Proverbs 26, 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. And you think, you know what, that's a really good word. That makes a lot of sense. I don't want to become a fool myself, so I'm not going to come and interject and, and, and argue with someone who's a fool. I'll be a fool myself. So this is your whole theology of dealing with fools. You just don't talk to them. You kind of stay away from them, and that's fine. This is all good until maybe you open your Bible again at some point and come across Proverbs 26.5. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Well, now, this is a problem because if you've built your whole theology on how to deal with people who are foolish on Proverbs 26.4, then you know that you shouldn't answer a fool according to his folly. But then you get this verse, and it's a problem because you're supposed to answer a fool according to his folly or he's going to be wise in his own eyes. So Proverbs 26.5 then shakes your world if everything is founded on Proverbs 26.4. So how do you actually apply this? Do you answer a fool or do you not answer a fool? What do you do with this? 
Well, it might be tempted, tempting to just say, well, the Bible's contradicting itself, and, and I'm just going to throw the whole thing out. But then again, we have contradictory wisdom sayings in our culture too. So on the one hand, we say, he who hesitates is lost. And on the other hand, we say, look before you leap. These are seemingly contradictory, but we need to heed another one of our Proverbs and, and not throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? But maybe you're not going to throw away the whole collection of, of Proverbs and wisdom sayings. Maybe you're trickier than that. You're not going to get rid of the whole thing. You're just going to decide which one you like better. And this is good because then you get to do what you want. So if you're an argumentative kind of person, you're going to take Proverbs 26.5 and you're going to answer the fool every time. You're going to get into every argument you can because it's what you enjoy. So you're going to pick that one. But if you're one of us who likes to avoid conflict, you're going to take Proverbs 26.4 and say, well, I'm not going to get in an argument here because I'm not going to answer a fool according to his folly or I'm going to become like him. So we get to pick and choose the proverb that we like better and kind of run with that one. But of course, that doesn't really do us any good either. It's just like Thomas Jefferson taking his Bible and cutting and pasting out the sections that he doesn't like and then kind of building his own little Thomas Jefferson Bible and then everything superstitious or everything he doesn't like is out and then you can just kind of live your life by what you want to do in the first place. The thing is that the book of Proverbs puts these two Proverbs side by side for a reason. We need to hear the wisdom in each of these and then use wisdom to be able to know how to apply them in whatever situation we find ourselves in. We need to understand that sometimes it doesn't make any sense. It's not profitable to answer a fool according to his folly. You'll just enter into his, his folly with him. But there are other opportunities where, where it really is profitable to engage someone who's saying some foolish things because they need correction, and there are some instances where it's profitable. They might actually uh, gain wisdom there. A wise person is going to be able to see both of these and understand the different situations, read the situations, and be able to respond with wisdom accordingly. The point is that the wisdom of Proverbs needs to be taken as a whole, not just a kind of a snippet here or a snippet there. So it's easy for us to go around finding a proverb we like and sort of going around quoting that proverb. So one of my wife's favorite proverbs in high school was Proverbs 27:14. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. So she had a friend who was really bubbly in the morning, a very morning person, and every time she would kind of greet her, my wife would say this verse to her because this is a, a fun verse. But the point is, we can't just go around quoting our favorite Proverbs. We need to understand the wisdom of the whole book and read each one in light of that larger framework of wisdom. Now, over the next uh, few months here, we're going to be looking at, at, at different subjects that the book of Proverbs takes. And as we do so, uh, looking at friends and family and, and money and conflict and all sorts of things, as we do so, we need to avoid the temptation to just go to the verses that we already agree with and kind of use that to bolster uh, our viewpoint or our opinion on something. We need to see the whole uh, 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 corpus of wisdom within the book. So we're starting this morning with a big topic that has had my head spinning all week as I've been studying, uh, parenting. What does Proverbs say about a wise family? What, what does Proverbs say that wise parents do? What's, what's wisdom as it relates to, to being a parent and to being uh, a child? Here's where we're going to start this morning in Proverbs uh, chapter 10, verse 1. And we're going to be jumping all around in the book of Proverbs. If you want to turn in your Bible to the book of Proverbs, it's kind of halfway through. We're going to be flipping back and forth a lot because that's how the, the book of Proverbs kind of works. Uh, but I, it will be helpful too if you can uh, kind of keep up with me. And we'll kind of be a brisk pace this morning. But, but here's where we're starting. Uh, Proverbs 10, verse 1. A wise son brings joy to his father. But a foolish son brings grief to his mother. 
And this is, is a verse that, that many of you can relate to. It's, it's true in our experience and true in our observations. I once heard someone say that you're, you're only as happy as your least happy child. And, and I don't know if that's true or not, but it's, it's basically getting at the same kind of point here. Parenting can be a very joyful experience. Parenting can be a very grief-filled experience. And what makes the difference between the two is wisdom. So a child that is exhibiting wisdom and is fearing God brings great joy to parents. But a child who is wandering away and on a path toward foolishness, there's great grief tied up in that. So the, the swing, the difference between them really is what your child does when it comes to wisdom. If they live wisely, there's a tremendous amount of joy here. And what this reminds us at the outset is that the task of Christian parents is to instill wisdom in their children. That's the, the goal of Christian parents, to, to get wisdom for their ch- child, to, to raise them up and guide them in the path of wisdom. And we can't forget when we say that what wisdom means specifically in the book of Proverbs. So we look at uh, Proverbs 9.10 and are reminded, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So remember all throughout here that, that the base point here is to guide our children to know God and to fear Him. That's what wisdom is. So that's the, the uh, as we get to the individual passages, remember that foundation. This whole thing is about parents guiding their children to know God and to fear Him. So let's look at three different kind of categories of things that, that wise Christian parents do to guide their children to know God and to fear Him. The first thing that wise parents do is they teach their children to fear God. So this is about teaching and instruction. It's about being proactive here. So let's start with uh, a verse of hope that I'm sure uh, many of you who are parents have probably memorized at some, time, at some point in your life. Proverbs 22, 6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. This is kind of the, the vision statement of wise parents starting your child off in the way they go so that when they're old, they won't depart from This is kind of the vision statement, right? On the one hand, it's a very encouraging statement. On the other hand, it's a little bit of a terrifying statement because it shows just how much influence you have over your children. So a few years ago uh, here at Trinity, we, we were working on revamping our whole ministry to children. We saw that we only had a few families and we just weren't reaching the, the children of our community. So we, we really took a hard look at well, what do we do to really bolster this? And as we were doing that and thinking through what our ministry to children really was, we became convinced that parents are best positioned to impact their children with the gospel. This makes a lot of sense, right? We've got a chart up here uh, behind me from the book uh, Think Orange. And on the left-hand side, it shows the, the kind of amount of hours in a year that an average church has with students, something like 40 uh, hours. And on the, uh, the right-hand side, the number of hours that an average parent has with their child, something like 3,000 in a year. So obviously, parents have a huge amount of time greater than the church does. And of course, that's good. That's how God designed it. God ordered it so that parents are the primary disciplers of their children. That's what we have come to believe here, and that's what's the, the sort of the foundation, the philosophy of ministry of our, all of our family ministry. So if you want to find out more about that, go talk to Pastor Travis. And we actually were going to have him uh, preach this message, but we thought, you know, some people have to get to work by 8 a.m. on Monday, and, and you're not going to be gone if he's going to be talking about uh, family ministry. So um, we thought some of you might want to at least eat lunch. So go talk to him, find out more about how really equipping parents is the heart of what we're doing with our kids. That's, that's the foundation of our philosophy of ministry with family ministry. In any case, the, the point is that parents are charged uh, with teaching and training their children uh, to fear God. 
And, and Proverbs 22.6 is a great vision statement of showing what, this, uh, what happens at best. You, you train them in the way they go. You teach them in the way they go. Show them who God is. Show them who Jesus is. And even when they're in old age, they won't leave that path. You're, you're guiding them on the path of wisdom. So how do we do this? Uh, that's really the hard question. And it really, the, the whole book of Proverbs is something of a, of a teaching manual that parents can use with their children. Particularly chapters 1 through 9 are kind of uh, designed as parents instilling wisdom in their children. So if you look at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, there's the prologue in verses 1 through 7, and then it turns to this in chapter 1, verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. And then the parents go on and saying the importance of wisdom and, and, and warn against folly. And they're really laying the foundation of what this is. So it, it's, it's a model for parents teaching and instructing their children to fear God. And we can take, uh, there's a lot of teaching elements here, but we can just take one as an example of what's going on here, what this teaching looks like. This is from Proverbs uh, 4, and if you can quickly turn those, this would be a good, a good one to have in front of you. Proverbs 4, beginning at the beginning of, of the verse, verse 1. Listen, my, fun, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. And this is just one small little uh, teaching vignette, but it's highlighting the importance of getting to first things and passing on the importance of fearing God and walking in the path of wisdom. And if we read the Bible, we see that the Bible exhorts parents throughout to be consistently teaching their children about God and about what they have seen him do. So we look back at some of the stories in the Old Testament. You can look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is when the, the people are, um, uh, Moses is leading the people. He's led them out of the Exodus, out of slavery in Egypt, and he's reminding them of the importance when they get settled in the land that God's giving them to be teaching their children. So Deuteronomy 4 verse 9, Moses is saying, only be careful Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to you, Assemble the people before me. Verse 11. You came near and stood at the foot of the temple while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. In other words, Moses is telling them, you saw some incredible things. You saw God's glory on display. Your kids might not see that in the same way as you, so you've got to go and tell them what you've seen. Get specific with the things that you have seen God do. It's the same thing that, that uh, he had instructed them back in Exodus 12 when, when they're preparing uh, to, for God's great deliverance out of slavery in Egypt. This is Exodus 12. Again, he's, he's giving them instructions. He's saying, this is Exodus 12, 24. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. 
When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. In other words, he's instructing them, this is going to happen, and you need to keep having the same kind of ordinance. This is why we do the Lord's Supper, to remind ourselves and to remind our children, this is why we're doing this. It's because Christ died on the cross. That's why we have Lord's Supper. For them, it was the Passover sacrifice. We do this because God delivered us. We saw a mighty deliverance. So the, the role of parents is to instruct children, to teach them, to remind them of, this is what we saw God do. It was amazing. This is what he did in our time. And pass that on so they'll fear God and walk in the way of wisdom themselves. So the takeaway for us as Christian parents is to be proactive and to remember your goal in this whole thing. You are teaching your kids to fear God, to know him, to love him. Now this is where we have to actually examine our hearts and see, is this really true of me? I mean, if you, if you are honest with yourself, is this what you would say your goal with your kids is? I suspect that many of us, if really pressed on this, would admit that what we want from our kids most is really just that they'll be happy. And you know, I, I understand that. I want my kids to be happy too. But it's the wrong goal. See, if I focus on my kids' happiness, I'm actually going to undercut the path to true happiness because my kids might get the idea, the impression, that they're the center of the universe, the most important thing, and that and happiness is more important. Instead, we've got to aim to have our kids know who God is and all of his glory and all of his holiness, all of his majesty, all of his grace. We've got to point them to God as he's revealed in Jesus Christ and the gospel of glory and grace so that above everything else, they will know him and fear him because that's the path to true happiness. Don't aim for happiness or anything peripheral. Aim for the heart. Aim for your children to know God and to walk with him in wisdom. That's what Proverbs is really showing us. So in this first aspect, teaching or instructing, it's, it's showing us that we have to be intentional and proactive in this. It's easy for us to, to just be reactive parents, reacting to whatever is going on in their lives and just kind of making it, just kind of surviving. But be proactive. Seek out teaching opportunities. Make teaching opportunities. Tell your children what you have seen God do. Don't outsource the education or the spiritual formation of your children. You are charged with going after their hearts because you have the biggest opportunity of anyone to impact them and to influence them. So our role as parents is to steward that opportunity well and to point our children to God. My dad tells me that the, the Puritans used to instruct fathers to prepare their children ahead of time to come and to worship on Sunday morning. So they'd, Saturday night they'd, they'd read the passage together as a family. The father would make sure he understood it. And then Sunday morning they'd come and worship with God's people. And then they'd kind of repeat the sermon back to, to their families or preach the sermon back to their families over uh, Sunday lunch. And this isn't saying like you go and you reiterate, okay, well, he said this, he said this, and then he cried a little bit, and then he said this, and kind of give an outline of what was going on here. And this was not a very funny story or that kind of thing. It's saying you need to take responsibility so that your family, your kids, know what the Bible says. And they know why that's important. I mean, that's the role of parents is to teach and exhort, to, to come alongside their children, to point them to the path of wisdom. And by the way, if you are a child living at home, you're not passive in this either. You have an active role. So we look at the beginning of verse 4. Listen, my sons, to your father's instructions. Pay attention and gain understanding. In other words, you're not passive in this. You are supposed to listen to your parents. You are supposed to uh, hear what they're teaching you and really strive to hear well. 
the height of foolishness is to ignore instruction from your parents. So let me again encourage you who are younger, be teachable. It doesn't demean your intelligence or fail to treat you with respect. No, this is lifting the bar for you and asking you to really take a role in this yourself. Be proactive. Have the wisdom and the humility to really hear instruction and hear wisdom from others, particularly your parents. Okay, so the first aspect, wise parents instruct and teach their children. The second aspect is that wise parents warn their children against the negative consequences of failing to fear God. So this first aspect is a, is a positive, proactive element, which is important because you're, you need to stir your child's heart with the gospel. Stir their heart with who God is and what he has done in Jesus. But this second point, it's also proactive, but, but couched in negative terms. So along with this, this call to show your children the beauty of God, we also have to warn our children against destructive courses of action. So we see this right out of the gate in Proverbs 1. Look at verses 10 through 19 with me. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood, let's ambush some harmless soul, let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We'll get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us and we will share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. So we need to prepare our children and, and to teach them the fact that not everyone is going to fear God. There are some people who choose a very different path from the path of knowing God and fearing Him and living in wisdom. And however good that might look in the short term, we need to teach them that that is a path that leads to death. They lie in ambush only for themselves. It's taking the life away from those who go on this path. It's a path of destruction. We see the same thing back in chapter 4 that we read a little earlier. We read the, the earlier passage showing the importance and the beauty of, of getting wisdom. That's the first thing, that it, if it costs you everything, you've got to get knowledge, get wisdom. And then from there, it gives a warning of what happens if you don't, go with, get, don't get wisdom and follow this uh, path of those who go after uh, folly. And then after that, it ends the chapter coming back to the positive aspect and the beauty of actually getting wisdom. So it's, it's couching the warning within two passages that are more uh, positive of showing the beauty of wisdom. This is actually a really good pattern for us because uh, some of us tend to, to lose balance in either direction. We either fall into the trap of only giving warnings so that it looks like the Christian life is all about the don'ts, you know, don't smoke, don't drink alcohol, don't have sex, or, on the other hand, to neglect to give warnings and to fail to prepare our children for the fact that some people do reject God and those who go on that path of folly are on the road to destruction. So this is a good balance. It's, it's showing that warnings are really important even as we're doing positive instruction as well, side by side. But warnings serve an important function. Uh, when I was in seminary, I worked at the, in the student uh, workforce for a couple of summers at, at Wheaton College. So the college would hire a whole bunch of high school and, and college-age students um, to kind of clean up the mess that 2,000 college students can wreak on a, on a uh, college campus over eight months. 
Uh, but when they, re- when they did this, they realized that if you're going to have that many students on your summer workforce, that can be a big liability because a lot of them don't have a lot of experience working yet. They might not know how to work safely with things like ladders and paint chemicals and lawnmowers and power tools and all this. So there's a big liability there. So one of the things they did to train us was they got us all in a room together, one of their kind of lecture rooms, and, and they showed us kind of a workplace safety video. And this particular workplace safety video, I got to see it twice in my two summers there, uh, featured three uh, different young people who had serious uh, work-related accidents in their, in their summer jobs or part-time jobs. And one of them was a, a girl who had lost part of three fingers to a pizza machine, and they kind of showed how that happened and why it happened. Another guy had, had uh, lost part of his leg to a conveyor belt accident. They showed that and showed how that happened. Another guy had a, a forklift accident and actually was paralyzed from the waist down. So as you're watching this, it's kind of a, they kind of prepped us for it and said, you know, the goal here isn't to give you nightmares or to make you scared. But they show that video because students need to know how serious it is. They need to know that there are really serious consequences for not doing work the right way, not doing work the safe way. It's the same concept here. Parents should first and foremost be, be showing their children the, the beauty of God and his, his holiness, his splendor, his glory. At the same time, they've got to warn them against the negative consequences of choosing a different path. So again here, the charge for parents is to be proactive. We're to be consistently teaching about the beauty of God, the path of wisdom, but at the same time to acknowledge that not everyone believes that. There are people, lots of people, who live as if there's no God. And sometimes it looks like those people are more successful or those people are happier Or those people are more popular. So we have to give our children eyes to see the real consequences of choosing a life apart from God. Because in the short term, it can look sometimes better to them. So we're giving them a long-term view and helping them to see that God's way is truly the way to life. And then alongside of that, to give them tools to choose the right way when they're tempted. And again here, as with teaching instruction, children are not passive here. There's a, a charge to children as well. So we could look at Proverbs 13, verse 1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not respond to rebukes. So we as children need to hear the instructions of our parents, and we need to heed their warnings. The cultural stereotype in our day is to just kind of brush off everything that your parents say as if they don't have a clue of what's going on here. But that's totally foolish. I mean, have eyes to see past that kind of thing. You know things that your parents don't know. That's true. You are connected to some parts of culture that your parents are not connected to and don't care to be connected to. But you have to have the wisdom and the humility to see that they have years of experience. They have been through similar things. Maybe not the exact same things, but they have been through similar things. And they have seen similar things. And for those who are followers of Jesus, they have found the path to life and infinite joy. So don't fall into the trap of underestimating the wisdom of your parents. Be teachable. Don't fall for that lie that they don't have a clue. Instead, hear what they're saying to you. Okay, so wise parents teach and instruct their children. Wise parents warn their children. And then the last aspect we'll look at together. Wise parents discipline their children when they, fa- when they fail to fear God. So we start here with Proverbs 22, verse 15. This is what it says. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. This is a a hard verse for us to hear because uh, if we're honest, in, in our culture, rod of discipline, a term like that, sounds like child abuse. And indeed, in in the hands of sinful humans, 
that's what it becomes, right? If we look at statistics of, of child abuse in our culture, they are staggering and devastating. Nearly three-quarters of a million confirmed cases of child abuse in our country every year, and it happens uh, far too often in our uh, community, in our county as well. Uh, just the past couple years, uh, each year, it's been about 700 investigated families for child abuse. And in 2011, 2012, 150, 200 cases of child abuse uh, in our culture, which is in our, in our county, which has doubled from 2010. Those are devastating things. So we have to be clear on here is that rod of discipline is not an excuse to abuse your children. Any parent who's going to abuse their child and try to hide behind what the book of Proverbs says about discipline is sinning against God and stands condemned before him. This is not an excuse for child abuse. So, so what is it talking about when it talks about the rod of discipline? What, what is it talking about here? Well, first we have to see why discipline is necessary in the first place. And, and 22.15 really shows the reason. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Now that might sound a little bit strange to our ears and our, our cultural context because, of course, children are wonderful and, and we tend to think of them as, as these, uh, these innocent little darlings. But let's say that you have a, a garden patch and the soil is really good, it gets plenty of sunshine, this is going to be a great spot for a garden, and you love fresh vegetables, so you're so excited to see what this garden is going to become over the summer. So you, you watch and you wait and you watch and you wait. And then at the end of the summer, all you have is this, this garden plot that's chock full of weeds. And you think, well, what happened? Well, you didn't do anything. You didn't cultivate it, you didn't weed it, you didn't feed it, you didn't water it, you just washed it. You sat there and, and watched it grow into a, a garden full of weeds. If you want a garden full of weeds, just don't do anything. You don't have to teach a garden or train a garden to grow weeds. It just does it. And it's the same thing with children. You don't have to teach children to be selfish. You don't have to teach them to be disrespectful. We are all naturally selfish, ungodly people. That's what 22.15 is talking about. It's talking about the fact that we are all, just like our children, sinful people. And if left to our own course, we will become ungodly, unwise, foolish people on the path of destruction. Wise parents know that they have to discipline their children because the default of human nature is not to fear God and take the path of wisdom. It's to take the path of folly and selfishness. Christians know that if this is not corrected, it will destroy their children. So the motivation for discipline by wise Christian parents is love. So we could look at Proverbs 13.24 to show that that really is the motivation here. Here's what it says. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. And this, by the way, is the verse that's often confused with, with our saying, spare the rod, spoil the child. That wasn't actually written by Solomon. That was written by a, a British poet, Samuel Butler. But, but this is the biblical version, and it's getting at the heart of why there's discipline in the first place. See, in our context, discipline is often taken as a negative thing. But really, it's lack of discipline that's the unloving thing. So there's a warning here for parents. We can see it again in Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. 
So this is what parents are charged with. They're charged with discipline because if you leave your children alone, if you don't instruct them and warn them and discipline them, they will go toward the path of destruction. There is hope in disciplining because it's motivated by love and it's directing your children to fear God. That's why wise parents discipline their children. Now it's vitally important for us as we discipline to keep the goal at the forefront. I think the easy way out is just to, to read verses like this and, again, just kind of pull them out of context and say, okay, well, all this is saying is that we're supposed to spank our kids. Why is parents spank their kids? That's kind of our, the filter through which we read this. But because we're all sinners, it's easy for us to apply that without any wisdom, and spanking can become the only tool in our tool bag. So if anything goes wrong, any kind of disobedience, spanking is the answer. But the problem with that is that it teaches our children to be little Pharisees. It's behavior modification, just an external kind of thing. It's the same thing that, that psychology students do with the lab rats. They, they hit a button when the rat does something they're not supposed to do, and, and it gives them a little shock, and the rat learns to not do that. And, and the rat does something they're supposed to do, and you push a button, and they give them a little food or give them a lot, little water. It's just behaviorism. And that might effectively change outward actions. If that were the goal, that would be fine. But Proverbs is calling us to something far more than that. What Proverbs is teaching parents to do is to get at the heart of their children. This is really about guiding their hearts, going after their hearts. So we see, we see that modeled in, in Proverbs 4.23 with, with a reminder from parents to the child. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The goal is to guide your children to fear God, to know Him, to walk in the path of wisdom because that is the path of life. That means that discipline is not just for behavior modification, it's for heart transformation. You're showing them the consequences of living apart from God and teaching them that they have to fear God, they have to love God above everything else because you're trying to guard, guide their heart away from a selfish, ungodly heart that leads to ungodly actions to a heart that knows God and loves Him and fears Him and therefore walks in obedience to Jesus. So we as parents need to use discipline wisely not just to make our kids obey us externally, but to guide them on a path that leads to life. So if you are disciplining your children out of anger or out of retribution or because they embarrassed you or because they somehow did not meet your emotional needs, you're not doing the right thing. You're not being a wise parent. You're not using discipline wisely. So a good question to ask yourself before you discipline your child is this. Well, whose agenda am I pursuing right now? Am I pursuing my agenda for my child? And is that a sinful agenda? Or am I pursuing God's agenda for my child? Am I really guiding them on the path to life? Or do I just want to modify their behavior? So wise parents, as part of getting at the heart, they discipline their children, guide them on the way they're supposed to do. Of course, there's tons more to be said here. Uh, and, and again, uh, please do see Pastor Travis and talk to him. He's got whole stacks of resources, and, and he would love to, uh, to get those in your hands and, and to give you other tools for knowing how to do this well. Because obviously we've got kind of a, a high-level conceptual level. We haven't gotten to a lot of nuts and bolts and stuff like that. But, but the foundation is all we're trying to lay this morning. The foundation is that you have to be guiding your children to know God. That's your primary goal as parents. Get your child to know God and to love Him and to fear Him with their whole life. And, and this is what wise parents do, right? This is what we've seen. They, they teach their children, they instruct their children, they warn their children against the negative consequences of not fearing God, and then they discipline their children when they fail to fear God. One uh, note here, uh, if you're a parent here, you know that you've not done this perfectly. You know that there have been times when you, you've failed miserably and substantially as a parent. The word here is grace. 
None of us is perfect. All of us make mistakes all the time. But God, in his grace, covers those. So above everything else you do for your children, point them to the gospel. If you can enthrall their hearts with Jesus, with who he is and what he has done on the cross, and show your children that you love them and pray for them consistently, it will cover a multitude of your mistakes as a parent. God's grace is sufficient for all things, and he is the one who is powerful to change hearts. But that's the key concept. Remember that you are going after your child's heart, not just getting them to act like angels in public or when other people are around, but make their heart enthralled and captivated by the glory and grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. So the charge to you as parents, you have a huge opportunity for discipleship here. Guide your child to love God and to know God, which means that you too, by the way, have to be loving God and knowing God yourself. You have to be growing too if your child is going to be growing alongside you because they're going to look at what you do and what you really value, and they're going to know the difference between what you say and what you actually in practice value. So you've got to be growing and loving God yourself and then guiding your children to that too. And and if those of you who, who don't have children in the home, there's a charge for you here too because you are part of the church. You are part of the family of God, which means that you get to participate in, in raising children, pointing them to the path of wisdom, helping them know who God is. This takes place in all sorts of different venues. It's taking place downstairs right now as there's going through Bible stories and, and, and showing love to these kids. It happens in, in formal kind of teaching settings like Sunday school. It happens informally at church picnics and potlucks. Uh, it happens informally in, in people's homes when people invite each other over. But this teaching, this praying, this encouraging, this coming alongside, there's a huge role here for the larger church family. And the cool thing about it is then you get to participate in the joy when those children come and actually express faith in Jesus. So this is the, the great joy and a great task that we have as a church. And kids, too, I remind, want to remind you that you are not passive in this. You have a role. So watch your parents. Watch your church family. See what it really means to live as a follower of Jesus. This is so important. Be watching and listening. Ask questions. Learn. Seek people out. Ask for their wisdom. This is a huge opportunity for you to to grow in the community of faith and and to gain wisdom and to know what it means to follow Jesus. So the charge here for parents is that you, first and foremost, fear God yourselves and then point your children to God and his grace day after day after day. And for you as a church family, it's the same thing. You too, fear God and help guide the families of our church to know him and to love him and to serve him. And for children, the charge is you have to fear God and hear your parents well, listen to their instruction, and get wisdom because it's the most important thing. As Proverbs said, get wisdom. If it costs you everything you have, get understanding, get knowledge, which means understand who God is. Fear him because that's the beginning of wisdom and that's the path of life. Of course, if any of this is ever going to happen, God has to work powerfully. So please uh, pray with me for God to empower us to actually live this out in our day-to-day lives. God, parenting can be such a huge challenge and it can be such a huge joy. There are so many of us who who are looking for resources and there's tons of books and tons of philosophies and tons of blog posts and tons of people spouting their opinion. God, I pray that you would speak through that clutter of opinions and, and human wisdom to give us your wisdom, divine wisdom, so that we wouldn't just kind of do the best we know how, but that we would live in obedience to you that we would hear your word and seek to apply it to our lives as parents so that we can guide our children to know you and to love you. 
I pray that in your grace you would cover over our faults and that you would be the one sending your spirit to stir their hearts, to teach them to love you above everything else, to value, to treasure you more than anything that the world has to offer. We commit them to your hands and we commit ourselves to your grace as well. In the name of Jesus, amen.